Hello, this is Nino Marchese, uh, director of Alex Criminal Justice Task Force and Civil Justice Task Force. We are here live at CPAC and the exhibition hall. And with me right now, I have Rob O'Donnell with Law Enforcement Today. Rob, we just met briefly. The conversation picked up pretty quickly. Um, super interested in, in the work that you're doing and what you're trying to highlight. So do you mind telling us a little bit about your background, uh, how you got into what you're doing today, and um, what does Law Enforcement Today stand for and try to accomplish? Well, I'm a retired New York City detective. I got on the force back in 1990 when we revamped policing in New York and took back the city and, and reduced crime to record levels. That was mimicked across the nation. You know, the broken windows theory uh, under Bratton and Giuliani where, you know, the people of the city, like they're starting to do now again, were crying for help. We're saying, hey, you know, we can't, I'm sleeping in my cast iron bathtub because of the gunfire. I can't go to the store. I can't send my kids to school. We want the police in the projects. We want the police in the inner cities. We want you to take the guns off the street. We want you to get the criminals off the, the, the corners. And they did. And we did it pretty rapidly. And, and we saw record declines. Um, that was, was the prototype for the rest of the nation. Uh, the rest of the nation followed suit, you know, instituted CompStat, which broke down the data for the crime and did it. So I had a first-hand seat how these policies work. What happened with broken windows policing is politicians got greedy. It was very lucrative. It was very, uh, it, it was lucrative for the cities, you know, and where they should have went into a maintenance stage, they kept pushing for those same numbers that they were getting when they were first addressing crime. You know, they were pushing how many tickets you can get, you know, how many arrests you had this month, you know, how many speeding tickets you got, how many stops you made. Uh, you know, once you reduce crime and it's not as prevalent as it used to be, you're now just harassing the good everyday people because of a push for numbers, because, you know, the, the fees that they were getting for citations, for the court fees that they were getting, you know, for, for everything there, where they should have pulled back to a maintenance stage. And that didn't happen. And that's why you, you see that, you know, you're systemically harassing these communities. You're, you're going after people for these minor offenses and ruining their lives. Where, you know, at that point, when you reduce the violent crime, you do have that discretion to say, you know, hey, here's a warning. Don't do that again. You know, you're a good citizen. You're, you're, you don't have a criminal record or you had a minor criminal record. And those are the things that need to be looked at when you, when you look at criminal justice reform. Uh, you need to get away from these blanket policies. No bail for X, Y, and Z crime. No, well, how about no bail based on the person's record and what they actually did? You know, everyone I know in law enforcement agrees with that. You know, everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone makes a mistake. Everyone makes a bad decision. It's just how often do they make that bad decision? Did they learn from the decision when they made it? You know, what, what programs were there available to, to send them, to defer them to? Where, I mean, now you're saying, well, we're not going to prosecute shoplifting. Well, you have people with 190 shoplifting arrests, which are now becoming violent because people are getting sick of all their property being stolen from a Rite Aid, and they're standing in the doorway. And now it's a physical altercation because this person's just pushing by you. So well, now it's a robbery because they use physical force to take that pettit larceny. So by the policies that they've created, they're actually escalating crime. They're creating worse crime just for a simple policy where you're attempting to give, well, we're giving people a break. You know, it's rough times. If somebody shoplifts, we should give them a second chance. I agree. Not 190 second chances. You're right. You bring up an interesting point. It almost seems uh, to be an ideological motivation rather than a, a genuine approach uh, to a positive reform and policing, whatever that, that looks like. 
what it looks like is bringing all the stakeholders. You know, instead of in New York, for instance, you know, in Albany, coming up with a blanket policy, you know, no bail, or we're not going to charge people for these crimes, types of crimes. You know, give the judges their discretion. If you need better judges, well, get rid of the bad judges and get better judges. Right. You know, if you have bad prosecutors, get rid of the bad prosecutors and get rid of them. We, if you have bad cops, we get rid of the bad cops. You know, they're held accountable. Let's see that accountability go up. But you have to sit down with the victims. You have to sit down with actual criminals that serve time. What did you learn from your time in jail? You know, what didn't you learn? How to work these things, you know, with legislators, with law enforcement, with police supervision, with the community. You can't do it strictly from a policy level as lawmakers to say, this is what we want to do, and it's just blanket for everybody. Or at least if it does, it has to take all those things into consideration in uh, the early stages of developing, developing that policy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, the legislators are the ones who make the law, but that law should be created based on all the stakeholders sitting down and seeing what's best for the community itself. I think something else uh, interesting that you highlighted earlier um, was, you know, the perception of, of police officers who, who do make mistakes um, and the motivations behind the reforms. I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, the bad cops do get highlighted uh, and vilified, uh, probably disproportionately. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the motivation behind, you know, that genuine police reform is to hold the government accountable. I mean, we talk about limited government. The, the police are government. They do, uh, you know, stick their necks out there for us to serve and protect us uh, but at the same time you know there shouldn't be an unnecessary loss of life in certain instances so what do you think is the most important thing um, people that are in the criminal justice space looking to uh, tackle police reform need to take into consideration uh, all things considered policies and procedures for police officers on the street there's a, a patrol guide every department has a patrol guide it's their do's and don't do it's what they're allowed to do what laws they have to protect them what laws they have to enforce that needs to be proactively reviewed by administrators in policing by mayors by you know city leadership not waiting for an incident to happen an unfortunate incident to happen wait for a mistake to happen and say well that policy was a bad policy well you know what it's your job to write better policies as a, as a legislator as a mayor as a police chief why aren't you reviewing that all the time? You know, a police officer out on the street is constantly reevaluating their situation, where they are, who they're dealing with, what they're doing. You know, if I'm chasing a bad guy, you know, what weapon does he have? What weapon doesn't he have? You know, what's traffic like? They're constantly reevaluating their, their situational awareness. Why aren't the policymakers? Why aren't they reviewing this policy on a weekly, monthly, or semi-annual basis where they say, okay, let's look at the policies, let's look at some of the incidents we had that were close but didn't get to that tragic level. Right. It, doesn't, it shouldn't take a George Floyd to be the catalyst to start reviewing uh, internal police department policies that, you know, yeah. and, and, and an can incident save like lives. that, I mean, the policies were reviewed, the policies were looked at. I mean, sometimes you just have a bad cop. Sometimes you have a cop that just made a tragic mistake. Unfortunately, an online work with what we deal with there are tragic mistakes, but again, there are no perfect professions, and law enforcement's no different. We'll never be perfect. We can strive to get there as most we can, but I'll put policing and law enforcement up against any other profession. How many accountants make tragic errors on their accounting thing? You know, it is no one dies when that, but you, it's, it's a critical mistake. You know, if you screw up someone's taxes or screw up someone and transfer the wrong money, you know, how many architects, you know, make mistakes that cost millions of dollars to correct or something collapses like a condominium and or a bridge in Florida. Um, you know, you can medical malpractice, hundreds of thousands of cases a year. You look at law enforcement and the, these incidents happen and they're tragic and some of them are just bad, bad cops doing bad things. They're held accountable on multiple levels. 
there is a mechanism in place on several levels. You know, police supervisors investigating, internal affairs, the department, the DA, the feds. You know, there's five, six levels of investigation that's going to look into the, did these police officers do the right thing? What were the facts behind the case? But in this swing where we're just going to hold 300,000 sworn law enforcement officers accountable for the mistakes of, of less than a handful, is that throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Is that, is that fixing anything? No, you're making police officers more hesitant to do things, which in certain situations, that's bad. I mean, if you let a criminal or somebody that, that's an opportunist take control of a situation, you could get hurt. Someone else could get hurt. Uh, and, and that's where they're at now, where, where police, you, you've seen the stand down, where police aren't proactively policing. And it's creating more victims. It's creating more issues. It's worsening the problem because criminals are, are, are creatures of opportunities and, and the path of least resistance. If they know the police aren't going to pursue them to an extent they used to, they're going to get away with the most they can. So by these very policies, by this, this environment you've created in law enforcement, you're actually creating more problems than you were fixing to begin with. And, and that's where you get back to, no, we unequivocally support our police. Let's better the policies. Let's better the training. Let's better the tools you have. Let's review the tools on a regular basis and get to these things before there's a tragedy. And you minimize them even more. I mean, like I said, when, when you the conversation is always welcoming to better law enforcement. Body cams, you know, look at the, the, the conflicts that when they first came out on both sides. But they've supported police in over 99% of the incidents saying that, yeah, what the police were saying is what's happening. You know, to the point now where you'll have the other side saying, well, we don't want body cams anymore because look what it's showing. <laughs> They're trying to do away with them in certain cases. Well, why would you do away with a tool that shows you exactly what happened? to shows you the facts and the more of that the better for law enforcement and and let's get proactive methods that way rather than sending social workers on calls i mean there, there's a time and place for a social worker to deal with someone who's predisposed to commit crime during the crime and the act is not that time it's before that happens you know in a safer environment not responding to a domestic situation where a, a criminal knows because domestic situations for your armed law enforcement officers is one of the most dangerous situations. So you're going to send someone into that environment that they know is not armed and capable to defend themselves? Uh, I don't know if that solves the problem or you're just going to have another victim, the social worker themselves. And I agree, there's a time and place for social workers, for counselors, for everything that, that, that anything we can do to lessen crime or the chances of someone committing a crime but know the time and place for those services, and it's not during a, uh, a volatile incident. Right, right. So you've, you've highlighted a, a lot of issues that go into the criminal justice um, activist efforts, um, police reform efforts, and you've definitely touched on a lot of different areas that need to be uh, reformed and taken into consideration before these reforms go into place. Um, where do you think is, is the best place uh, to start addressing people's concerns with uh, the abuse of a police authority or at least the perceived abuse of police authority. I know that you're saying that may not be the ultimate reality and that's part of the, the issue here when things get sensationalized, but for, for those that are saying there is not enough accountability in law enforcement nationwide, uh, they are not held to certain accountability standards that we'd like to see them held to, what would you say is the, is the most important thing that those people should focus on and advocate for that accomplishes 
everyone's goals ultimately as far as yeah. safe policing and accountability. I think when we sit down and have an honest, level-headed conversation, all sides have more in common than they realize. I, I think all the sides have some of the same goals. They just want to get to it in different ways or have their different perceptions on, on what's actually going on. But in reality, I, I think there's more common ground there than, than anyone realizes or knows or wants to say, yeah, there is that common ground. Small focus groups with all the stakeholders sitting down in those communities. Okay, let's discuss these at this level and then build it out from there. Um, let's review the policies, let's review the procedures, let's review. Perception is harder to deal with than an actual incident. A perception of crime, perception of an incident. If somebody's like, if a cop's literally acting bad, you can investigate that and say, oh yeah, this cop's acting bad. If the cop's not acting bad and just enforcing laws that people don't like or don't like the way he enforces those laws, the perception of him acting bad, you can't tell somebody how they feel. If they feel that way, that's how they really feel. So we have to get all the stakeholders at the, at the table in a, a trusting environment where they don't think it's being blown off, it's going in one ear out the other, to sit down and have an honest discussion. And there's always room for improvement. And I'll be the first to say law enforcement is no different for that. You know, there, there are bad cops out there. We need to deal with those bad cops. You know, there are majority of really great cops out there. And, and we don't highlight those day in and day out um, you know, when it comes to those things. You know, we only hear about those handful of bad incidents. And then it's a blanket, well, we need to fix all these guys because look at what happened here. Well, unfortunately, that's not the reality. And if you look at any profession, you know, those things happen, be it a secretary, be it a CEO, be it, you know, an architect, you know, a sanitation worker. You know, there's, they make mistakes, but uh, sometimes their mistakes aren't as tragic as, you know, when you're dealing with law enforcement and, and life and safety issues. Well, Rob, I think your answer, uh, ultimately, the place to start is to have that genuine forum for discussion uh, with the stakeholders involved and everybody can start, you know, level-headed and really address the issues. I think you did a pretty good job of describing the criminal justice task force here at ALEC. That's exactly what we try to do. Um, and I'd love to have you more involved. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work and law enforcement today? Sure. I write for lawenforcementtoday.com. Lawenforcementtoday.com is, you know, a law enforcement issue that touches on anything law enforcement, criminal justice related, you know, politics that affect law enforcement, politics that created because of law enforcement. You know, we touch on that. And you can also find me on Twitter at, at O'Donnell underscore R. Perfect. Rob, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 